Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome, welcome. Seven minutes past 12 o'clock. I'm Nikki Severini. It is fabulous to be in your company this afternoon. This is the DL Link Show where we connect you through insights and information and illumination. And I wanted to play that song, Queen, Who Wants to Live Forever. That's a question we're asking today, and you may go, what are you talking about? Well, I have the most fascinating guest in the studio. Um, we are going to be talking biohacking and biogerontology, and that is how we are extending our lives, how we are going to live with vitality and health, even into old age. Is it possible? I don't know. It may very well be. This is what science is telling us. In fact, today's show is merging science with philosophy. And that's why I wanted to play the song, Who Wants to Live Forever? Many of you are saying, me, me, me. Maybe some of you are saying, no, please, it's far too exhausting. Well, Yoko Ono said that some people are old, are old at 18 and some are young at 90. Time is a concept that humans created. Just thought I'd throw that one in as well. So let me introduce our guest, Dr. Tamara Pfeiffer, who is a leader in the field of anti-aging medicine. Tamara, welcome. Lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> well, it's great to have you. And I have no idea how old you are, um, but you look amazing. And so if how you look is anything to go by in terms of vitality, energy, healthy, glowing, you're a walking example. You see, that, that's the beauty of radio. I get to see it and then I get to explain it to you. <laughs> Tomorrow, we're going to take a quick break. Um, after the break, let's go into this biohacking and what exactly it means. And incidentally, if you have any questions uh, for Dr. Tamara Pfeiffer, you can also, um, you can call in. Um, the number is 010-140-3020 or SMS us on 34519. Quick break. We'll be right back. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. The DL Link Show on 101.9 High FM. Dr. Tamara Pfeiffer is in the studio, leader in the field of anti-aging medicine. So just before the break, Tamara, I said biohacking because its topic is biohacking and biogerontology. What, what does that mean? So we like to call it medical biohacking. It's nice and sticky, but the official word is biogerontology. Okay. And this is a new science in medicine. It's probably around 10 years old only. There are only now courses in master's degrees and PhDs in California in biogerontology. And what it is, is medicine today focuses primarily on sickness. Mm -hmm. So we need to be diagnosed with something and then we treat that diagnosis. Right. We then moved into a space where we went into more precision medicine. And that's where medicine is headed all over the world. Every person is so individual. I mean, if we close our eyes and we think about our families and how different we look and how different we act and our different personalities and the different sense of humor, we are that different at the biochemical and genetic level. Wow. So the one-size-fits-all medicine is slowly, slowly disappearing, mm -hmm. and precision medicine is becoming much more prevalent. And then biogerontology is one step even further. And it's amazing. The face and the professor of biogerontology was in South Africa last year at Singularity University. Mm -hmm. I did everything I could to try and go see him. What's and his name? His, and his name is Aubrey de Grey. Aubrey de Grey. Okay. And he held a big biogerontology summit in Germany in March. And I was the only practitioner from South Africa that was invited. So it was very, very exciting. Fabulous. Amazing. And what he believes, and interestingly enough, he started in AI. 
he had a PhD, he was a leader in artificial intelligence, and then he married a biologist who was 25 years older than him, I think. 25 and years older? Yes, oh, I like that. I know. <laughs> and so he suddenly decided that aging must be a choice. It can't be just the way it is, the way we believe it is now. And he started studying biology, and now he's got his PhD in biology as well. And what he found was that in the way he looks at things, human beings are like really, really, really complicated cars. Mm -hmm. So just like you can get an antique car, and if you make sure that your services are up to date and you go in for maintenance, that car can run pretty well for hundreds of years longer than it was supposed to. In the same way, he has identified seven areas where if we can figure out that maintenance plan, there is no reason that the accumulative damage that occurs in our bodies can ever get to that tipping point that causes age-related diseases and aging. Wow. Okay. So what are these seven areas? Oh, it's very interesting. So I'll I'll talk about some of them. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the primary ones is glycation. So what glycation is, is sugar in our lifetimes, not only sugar, also things like brine meat. Oh, I'm sorry, South Africa. Brine meat. Brine meat. So that dark char grill, Mm. those little things are called advanced glycation end products, very Mm -hmm. aptly named ages. Mm. Tasty little buggers. They're so tasty, Mm. and they create this cacophony of flavors, which is why we do that. We Mm. paint a protein over the top of bread like egg to make that golden brown deliciousness, Mm. but those are advanced glycation end products. And what they do is they stick two collagen or two elastin fibers together And so you slowly, slowly lose elasticity. So we become less agile, less flexible. Our skin starts to sag. But for me, the more important part is internally. So our arteries start to harden. We can no longer adjust to blood pressure. We start to get hypertension and heart disease. Our lungs can't expand as fully. Joints start to give up. So all of these things can be linked back to glycation. Mm -hmm. So it's almost, if you think about a roast chicken, delicious roast chicken, when you Put it in the oven. It's got this even skin tone. It's very flexible. You can stretch the skin around. It goes back to what it was. But once it comes out of the oven, the skin tone is different. There's dark areas and lighter areas. It's suddenly very brittle. There are cracks and breakages. Right. That's what's happening to us with glycation in products. Sure. That's glycation. Great analogy. I'll mm. never forget that one. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, so that's glycation. That's yes. the sugar and that other stuff. Yes. The bry, the liquor bry stuff. All okay, right. yeah. Then we've got mitochondrial function. So mm-hmm. This is my favorite, favorite, favorite. In fact, I am hopefully doing my PhD in this and South African herbs next year. South African herbs? Yes. Yeah, so they found amazing links with um, rooibos tea and some other herbs that actually increase, they called longevity associated genes, lags. That help to increase our longevity associated genes and push, switch them on and switch the bad ones off. So we're going to do a little bit of further research into that. It's going to be very exciting. Put us on the map in this field. <laughs> but it also helps to increase mitochondrial biogenesis. So what that means is we only get our number of mitochondria from our moms. Mitochondria are those little guys that produce up to 97% of our energy. Okay. But what we've also learned now is that it protects your DNA. It helps your cells replicate as young as they were before. It cleans up all of those free radicals in our cells and makes sure everything's functioning nicely. So it's really, really integral. And we only get our mitochondria from our mom. So you can track your maternal lineage back tens of thousands more years than your paternal because of that mitochondrial DNA. It's a separate DNA to ours. Wow. It was actually a bug. It's a bacteria. It's amazing. She was fascinating. Okay. So we used to get that number of mitochondria from our mom. Mm -hmm. And as they got sick and died off, we got sick and died off. 
So we want to keep them going. We want to keep them going. So we've recently found ways that we can kill off the bad ones because the bad ones do more harm than good and create more good ones. So if we've got more good ones doing the good work and less bad ones, we can keep going for a lot longer. Okay. And it started off as a bacteria. Started off as a bacteria. Amazing. And I'm sure that's a story for another day yes. because I want to get to the other five. <laughs> but, but you're saying that herbs, um, are very good for this mitochondria, whatever, whatever it's called. Yes. So there's okay. been, there's certain, certain herbs, certain, certain herbs okay. and very specific ingredients out of those herbs. So it's more like, we call them nutraceuticals, mm-hmm. natural pharmaceuticals. So it's very, very, Specific, it's in a form that your body can break it down that is not pre but post um, breakdown in your body. So, mm-hmm. for example, 40% of women cannot break down folic acid. So 40% of women, when they're taking folic acid during pregnancy, it's really doing very little to help against and neural tube defects. And we're all told to take folic acid. Right. But if you have this genetic mutation, there are a few in there, but one of the most common ones is five of MTHFR. If you've got that mutation, you have to take the breakdown products of folic acid, and then you get all the benefits. So we test your genetics and we test your biochemistry and make sure that you're getting your optimal nutrition. Because if you're one of those people, you can't even get it from food. Okay. And so you've got to know. You've got, You've to, got know. to know. What are you, what's your, what's your fingerprint? It's kind of yes. like your very specific thing. I love that. Okay. So that's number two. What's number three? <laughs> uh, number three is stem cells. Mm-hmm. There's lots and lots and lots of research going into stem cells. We do have these risks though associated with all of these things. So with stem cells, it can create a hot spot sometimes if we're not controlling it for cancer because you want to, a stem cell can become anything. And we used to only be able to get stem cells from ourselves to donate to ourselves. So you had to, almost preempts the fact that you may be getting ill or you may need a kidney transplant or you may need these things. But now they can make a human stem cell. In fact, they've just made, it's amazing, the first human sperm out of a different cell from a different animal. So you that can now, shocking. it's crazy, it's <laughs> crazy, 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 crazy. So you can now make out of a hair cell or out of even fruit they're finding, you can make a human stem cell out of it. So you don't have to preemptively store your stem cells. You can, you can now make them. You can make them now. Synth, synth kind of produce them out of not even human things. Yeah. Crazy. Okay. A quick break. This is fascinating. We're going to go to number four. Absolutely <laughs> fascinating. And then we're going to look at how this can impact us. All these great, these, uh, seven areas that mm. we can be working on. So stay with us. Fascinating. If you've got any questions, SMS us on 34519. Hi FM. 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. What a fascinating conversation we are having. We are talking about medical biohacking. Um, I have Dr. Tamara Pfeiffer in the studio. We're looking at, is it reversing the aging process or is it slowing down the aging process or is it optimizing the aging process? That's what we're really looking at. And we're looking at these seven areas. We've done the three areas and then we'll do those others and then we'll look at whether it is optimizing or reversing or what, what, what are we actually doing with aging? over here. So where were we tomorrow? It's very complicated. Yes. And you're simplifying it beautifully. <laughs> Thank you. So another one is cells that overdivide. So we see this in cancers mm-hmm. where we don't they don't control their division and sometimes the immune system can't keep up with them and, and bring them down. So mm-hmm. there are some quite sci fi scary Ways that they've thought of helping with that. So 98% of cancers depend on a little enzyme called telomerase to replicate. So telomerase is 
if you imagine a shoelace, yeah, that little plastic thing on the end of shoe, yes. it's got a cool name, but I can't remember what it is. Uh-huh. But as you wear that shoe and it gets worn out and over days and days, it starts to fray on the end. Right. Our telomere is a little cap on the end of your chromosome that protects your DNA. And as we age, they get shorter and shorter until it reaches a critical length and the cell dies. Cancer cells depend on this. Our cells, it switches off and it only switches on in our stem cells. So one of the theories that they've come up with, which I... I'm a little nervous about, uh-huh. but one of the theories is to actually knock out the telomerase gene. So if you knock out telomerase, those cancers are just gone. There is no more 98% of those cancers. Mm-hmm. But what the risk? The risk for me is scary because you have to then be tied into a stem cell transplant every few months. And if you miss one, then you can't regenerate your tissues mm-hmm. and then you die anyway. Mm-hmm. So... To me, it's a bit scary. I don't want to ever be beholden onto a certain company and make sure that I've, you know, they can uh, raise prices. And uh, that's the dystopian, scary future yeah, that, we, that we could move into. But they're working on, on different solutions for those fast dividing cells. Would, do you think, and sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. but do you think that that would be a solution for someone who's already been diagnosed with cancer or is this pre- a preventative measure? So technically, when you talk about gene therapy, which is in third phase of clinical trials in the States and actually all over the world, right. um, Russia's doing really well with it as well. Sure. And what they do is they can actually knock out specific genes. So they use the theory of a virus. They use the mechanism of a virus, and they have little proteins in that virus. So you take it in through an IV or swallow it, and it goes to the cell, and it injects this little messenger in, and it actually corrects the gene. Mm -hmm. So genetic disorders, life-threatening genetic disorders in one treatment can effectively be fixed. But the price point is insane at the moment. Mm, I think the last time it was $980,000 for a treatment. So just... For one treatment. Not really affordable, mm. but it is coming down and it's coming down very quickly with this mm. exponential growth of technology. Sure. Okay, move on. What's the next one? Are we on number four, five? So four and five are kind of linked. Mm-hmm. It's intracellular and extracellular waste disposal. So every time we breathe, every time we exercise, every time we eat, (sighs) when we break down nutrients, these normal processes in our body create waste products like free radicals and damaging items in our, in our cells. And usually, or the way we were created in thousands of years ago, the environment we were in, we could deal with that. Mm -hmm. We could clean it up. Mm But now... You mean we, it wasn't a toxic kind of polluted environment right. which so we live in today? Our environment has evolved much, much, much faster than our genes could possibly keep up mm. with, which means that we have so many more stressors that our body has to deal with that sometimes our resources get used up there right. and we don't have enough to, to clean up that accumulative mm. stuff before it causes, causes damage. So one of the sciences is looking at how do we clean up this intracellular and extracellular waste before it causes the damage that it does. Mm. And what's the next one? We spoke about stem cells, glycation, intracellular, extracellular waste disposal, division of mitochondria you spoke about. And then senescent cells is also um, one of the last ones. So we'll end off with senescent cells. Senescent cells are cells that die off and they don't get absorbed by the body. So they just create damage. Mm. They send out signals that cause inflammation and all kinds of things. So mm-hmm. if we can clear up those senescent cells without causing damage. So every time we sort of move forward in one of these technologies, the downstream effects tend to be something we didn't expect. Yeah. So where Aubrey de Grey is trying to focus is we need to 
focus not only on preventative medicine and staying healthy, which is very, very important, which we're going to cover now with that first statement you said, but also on looking at the biological process and cleaning up the mess at the end. Because every time we tend to interfere with the biological process, something downstream happens that we didn't expect. Mm. It's kind of like bringing in the hardy dars um, <laughs> to get rid of a certain frog or whatever it is, and, and we've got no more park-time pawns, which I'm, I don't have a problem oh, yeah, with. I'm but okay the point is it's that. It's when you change the bringing something into an ecosystem that's yes. wor- working, although he's saying it's not really working, that you have to be careful. You know, That's mm. when we can become philosophical, the God who created or didn't or universe or didn't <laughs> or whatever it is, which makes it a really really interesting discussion so going to this biohacking yes um are we stopping aging are we turning it on its head or are we looking at aging in the best possible way so the way we are experiencing life and health at the moment is that we're getting stronger and fitter and smarter up until about the age of 30 and then we start this slow decline mm. where we're getting weaker and more fragile and less agile mm. and less, de- less independence and more dependence on our loved ones for 60, 70, 80 years. And I don't want to live like that. I don't know if you do. Mm-mm. It's terrible. So that is a very, very expensive way to live, and it's very, very taxing on the healthcare system. We then moved into pre- precision medicine and advanced preventative medicine. This is trying to focus on keeping healthy for as long as possible. So where this started to come to the forefront was there was a huge study done on centenarians. And people who live to 100 and beyond only spend a third on healthcare compared to people who die between 60 and 70. Just say that again. So people who live beyond 100. Yes. Okay. They spend less money on healthcare. A third. Wow. Wow. Okay. So what, 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 what does this tell us? So this is incredible. The thing that we found is that they only start to get sicker and slower in their last two to five years of life instead of the last 60 years of life, mm-hmm. the way we are currently mm-hmm. doing. So if you are healthy and vital and independent and agile and living your life and mentally alert into your late 90s, hundreds, then that's a great a great way to live firstly, sure. and secondly, much, much, much less strain on the healthcare facilities that we have. And then biogerontology and biohacking goes that step further, which is moving that. So the health span increasing is the precision medicine, and lifespan increasing goes into biogerontology. Health span and lifespan. So yes. going back to those who live beyond 100, yes. and that for really it's just a short period of their time that their body deteriorates, mm. what is it that they are doing? What kind of lifestyle is it that you're learning from that you now want to include in the life extension? So unfortunately, they haven't found specific things. Oh. So interestingly enough, only 2% were vegetarian, uh, 50% were obese, up to 25% were smokers. So it really comes down to that precision medicine. So if we can, we need to know our bodies and our lives in as much detail as possible so that we can design a lifestyle around that. If we know our genome, they found that you can prevent your predisposed diseases by up to 75% by designing a lifestyle and your nutraceuticals and your supplements around your genes. Hmm. 
So this is interesting because I'm very into mind and mindset and power of the mind. And this, of course, because you, and this is very much the body, but there's the, the link, the yes. link between the mind and the body. So this is where it becomes interesting because with precision medicine and you're talking about looking at your genes. So once you look at your genes, you're saying, what do I have a predisposition to get? Like what kind of illness, what you and I were talking of air, we both have a problem with our cholesterol and it's just in the family. At one point, can, do you think the mind can play both in a positive and in a negative way when someone goes for those gene testing and then they're told you know I mean we look at um, the BRCA gene Mm. in terms of cancer we look at Angelina Jolene having the preventative the uh, hysterectomy the mastectomy the double mastectomy etc etc and for her that was wow I'm preventing what about the person who's told you could get X Y and Z and how dangerous could that be to the mindset where all of a sudden they think I am going to get it. Do you, do you see how delicate that play is? Absolutely. So there are two kinds of genetic testing. There's high penetrance genetic testing, which is those BRCA1, BRCA2. In that case, you are at a very, very high percentage, over 70, sometimes over 90% certain that you will get that illness. What we do is we do low penetrance genetic testing. With these genes, only 25% is according to the genes and 75% you have control over. So it's a much more empowering test. If you go for the high penetrance genetic testing, you have to go for counseling before, counseling during, counseling after. Mm -hmm. It's a very different process. This is more about optimizing health and optimizing your health span. Hmm. So something else, um, I'm sure, and I'm sure a lot of people bring this up, that it must be very costly, that it is really the rich who will benefit from being very specific about their health. They can test their genes. They know what's good for them, what they can't, what they can do. What about in a country like South Africa where our health system is so poor, where people are being diagnosed so late into their illnesses? How do we marry the two? Um, how can we get to a point, and I don't even know if you could ask the, answer this question, question where this brilliant insight of the biohacking and really knowing where we're going in our bodies, how we can roll it out to the masses. Is it something that's even vaguely possible? Yeah, so prices have already come down dramatically. We're looking at two to three years ago, looking at 50,000 rand for doing 86 genetic mutations in 25 pathways. We're down to 4,400 rand already in just a short time. But an interesting thing, I went to this incredible seminar, the same one I spoke about earlier. It's a very inspirational seminar if anyone oh. can go. Well, but it's called Singularity University. Singularity. Mm. It's unbelievable. The future. The oh. future. It is looking at the exponential growth of technology in every single sector. But where it comes into what we're talking about today, I've always been very concerned about exactly what you're talking about. Are we moving towards a utopian future or yeah. a dystopian future? Mm. When we are going into optimizing ourselves and biohacking um, and biogerontology, will the rich get richer and the poor get poorer? Right. Will we have this huge chasm? Will we have humans and superhumans? What's going to happen? And this amazing gentleman, and I wish I could remember his name now, but he said something that really gave me hope. Mm-hmm. Because if it only depends on the goodness of man, then we don't have a good track record in history. But what this guy said was, we need to control the narrative. These 2,000 delegates in that room who are all so positive and really want to create the best possible future possible, if we can control the narrative that whether you are a good person or a bad person, it doesn't actually matter. 
because your best chance of a solution to your possible future problem comes from the most people having access to education, medicine, and technology. Mm. For every time the population doubles, we have two and a half times the amount of innovative solutions. So it's in everybody's best interest, whether you are good or bad or happy or sad, to make sure that every child has access to education, to technology, and to the best medical care. Because you don't know if that's going to be the little girl or little boy who's going to have the solution to your problem or your family's problem. Mm, mm, I like that very much because I can, I personally can get very stuck in this future of, yeah, the superhumans, the humans, the, the gap between. And also, and it's, we, I'm going to be, and you're going to stay right where you are, I hope tomorrow, because <laughs> I'm going to introduce our next guest because something that we haven't really spoken about, I, I said to you, you know, power of the mind when you're told, well, you know, these are the issues within your genes. Are you the person who just rises above or all of a sudden do you start thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm feeling this and I'm feeling that? Because the mind plays a huge role in how our bodies work. You wanted to say something? Yes, so science is finally catching up with that, which is really awesome. I love it when science catches up to to original wisdom. Um, So we see it also in Chinese medicine where they talk about energy and stagnant energy is where the illness happens. Mm -hmm. Mitochondria are the energy production and now they're finding where there's stagnant mitochondria you get disease. So it's different words, but it's similar wisdom. Mm. And the same with this. They found now that up to 90% of neurotransmitter responses, so your brain chemicals, are going from the gut up and not from the brain down. 97% of your happy hormone, serotonin, is produced in your gut, not in your brain. So it's really, 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 that mind-body connection Mm. is now fortified very, very well by science. Well, I think it's a, on, on that note, I think it's a brilliant time to introduce our next guest, uh, Dr. Jerry Vazadenhout, who is a psychiatrist and a director um, at the Medical Services Vista Clinic. Um, Dr. Vazadenhout, welcome. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. We're having we're having a very interesting discussion. I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Tamara Pfeiffer, who's also here in the studio. Um, she's a leader in the field of anti-aging medicine. We're talking. I'm sure you've heard part of the conversation. Um, you know, and and you and I are going to be continuing with this discussion because I know that on the 10th of October it was World Mental Health Day, and in fact, That's the statistics when we look at mental health, when we look at suicide rates, when we look at anxiety, depression, they higher than they've ever been. So, Jerry, perhaps you want to just talk to that. Yes. Both suicide and mental health in general is escalating worldwide. And what's very concerning is that it's becoming sort of more prevalent in younger populations, Mm -hmm. which it never was before. Um, And one of the concerning things is, is that the way we live doesn't fully explain the reasoning for this. Mm-hmm. So there's something happening biologically in the world that's affecting our mental health. Um, we know, and that's why we have the campaign here, the first time, but also nationwide in terms of breaking the stigma, because people don't go for treatment due to the stigma of mental illness. Um we actively encourage people you know, to talk about mental illness and to talk about issues because by talking about it, it normalizes the problem. And people misunderstand mental illness in general because mental illness is affected um, 
will affect our emotional networks in our brain. Mm-hmm. And what is normal becomes part of what's abnormal. And it's normally a very insidious onset. So if I feel unhappy about something, that's normal. But if I continue and it goes into a depression, then I'm unhappy in general, but there's no specific reason for that. But maybe sorry, sorry, doctor. If we can just say that again, I think it's very, very important the distinction between um, what normal becoming the abnormal when it crosses over to mental illness. When you wake up and you're just feeling down, or you're feeling sad, or you're feeling anxious, to when it becomes depression, when you are clinically depressed. If you can really just emphasize that point. Okay, I think that's yeah, very important because having a down day is normal. Mm-hmm. We all have to have down days. We all have to struggle at times because it makes us stronger. Okay. When you have depression, those down days are there for for more days than not, and the pattern is there for more for more than two weeks or longer. In South Africa, unfortunately, most people walk around for months to years. And if I'm normally down or sad. I do something like getting dressed, make myself feel good about something, uh, or do an activity that may, normally makes me feel good, and then at the end of that activity or day, I feel better. When you're depressed, you can do those same things, but it doesn't give you the same outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very important in terms of distinction. Okay. Those patterns of behavior that changes over time. Okay. Um, uh, Jerry, please hold for us. We're just going to have uh, some ads. Um, fascinating discussion. We'll be right back in just a few minutes. Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008. Thank you so much for staying with us. I have Dr. Jerry Bezainert. He is a psychiatrist and director at Medical Services Vista Clinic. We're talking about uh, on the 10th of October was World Mental Health Day. Um, you know, it's not something that we just look at and we see the day pass by. This is something that is affecting every single person to varying degrees. Um, and Jerry was really just outli- uh, outlining that when, when it becomes a real issue from when normal becomes abnormal, um, just waking up and feeling bad at, during different times of our lives, that's normal, builds resilience, builds character, we're learning. But when does it become debilitating? And you were saying when you can't do things that lift the spirit, that make you feel good, the idea of getting out of bed, um, you know, you'd rather stay in bed, um, or, or, or whatever it is. So, so Jerry, let's let's just look at um, let's just look at this this mental illness and how it is um, how it moves from the normal to the abnormal. How that then becomes a mental illness. So, in other words, people who are listening and they're going, okay, well, look, I, I, I've noticed that over the past month, I would say that most of the month I've been feeling bad, and maybe. I'm not jumping out of bed as quickly as I usually do, and I'm not caring as much as I, I usually do. Mm. Is, is it important? Is that diagnosis important? And what is the difference? Um, you know, are, are we then looking at medication? And at what point do we look at medication? Well, the diagnosis is important. It's like anything in life. If you don't name it, you can't manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if people stay... Okay, you know, I'm not enjoying life. I can't get up in the morning. I wake up tired. 
there's fantastic stuff on the internet. People can go on the internet and say screening tests for depression. There are quite a few screening tests. And they can actually look at those questions and then rate themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not a diagnostic tool. It's a screening tool. Okay. And taking that to a GP and saying, you know, I mark all of these. Can we discuss it? Do I have an illness? Because the 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 illness is treatable. Too many people think they just have to do this on their own. Mm. And when you look at the treatment of, of mental illness, we work on four pillars. One is the physical, other one is emotional, third one is social, and the fourth one is spiritual. So the physical side of treatment, medication is one part. Mm. But exercise is another part. Mm -hmm. Good sleep hygiene and having a good healthy diet are other parts of that physical treatment. So when people say they want treatment but they don't want tablets, then there are other options available to them that they can try. And some people say, well, I first want to try those things before I try tablets. Mm -hmm. And if it's not if the symptoms aren't too bad and it's just starting to give problems, then actually doing those things can a lot of the times actually reduce the impact and stop it from becoming worse. Um, if you look on the emotional side of things, people are having sort of constant negative thinking patterns. They struggle more with anxiety. They struggle more with depression because those constant negative thinking puts them at a higher risk of developing. Mm. And some of us, unfortunately, get taught either by our micro-society that we grow up in or our parents or something that happens in our life, something that's dysfunctional in a, on our emotional belief system. And then identifying those kind of uh, dysfunctional thoughts, uh, understanding them and then looking at how you can change them does reduce the impact on, on the illness as well. Okay. And then in South Africa, our social issues are very big. Mm. You know, people struggle with finances. They struggle with friends, family, and relatives, um, marital conflict, bringing up children. A lot of people are, are single parents. So addressing your stressors on a social level is also very important. Mm. Um, and be realistic I see a lot of single parents that compare themselves to married couples or to people that don't have children. Um, and the, 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 one of our favorite things that we like to do is we like to compare the way I feel on the inside to how the other person looks on the outside. Yeah, so true. Um, but they look fantastic and look at their Facebook page and look at their Twitter account. They're always smiling. It's wonderful. I'm the only one struggling. Mm. So that. Keeping up with the Jones' comparison on a social level can also be quite detrimental. Mm. On the other side, if you have good friends that's supportive and that helps you through difficult times, that's very protective. And when most people start feeling depressed, they start avoiding friends. Mm. They start pulling back. So part of the treatment is not to do that, is to force yourself, maybe not on the same level as before, but just to continue with socializing at a level that's manageable. And on a spiritual level, we as 
especially in Gauteng, you know, we're very focused on outcomes and on getting results. Yeah. And we forget that we're also spiritual beings. And we don't always give enough nurturing to that spiritual side. Mm. Um, when I look at patients that struggle with spirituality, um, it tends to come from your more conservative um, faith communities where uh, mental illness is often seen as, as some sort of a sin. Um, so the, the, the spiritual sort of background and the spiritual community they're involved in doesn't support and help them. It often talks against going for treatment and rather just sort out whatever is wrong in their spiritual life and then sort of they will get better. And sometimes that is true. But most of the times, it's a, the way the person feels about their spirituality is a consequence of the illness. Mm. And getting a nice, encouraging faith community around you and doing activities that's spiritual helps us a lot. And it, and it, it either reduces the impact of mental illness or it, it helps us endure mental illness much better. Mm, you know, Jerry, I think that it's, I'm so pleased that you brought up these uh, different pillars because I think that in this world where we outsource a lot, um, we seem to think that the by outsourcing, we're going to get better and we're going to feel better. And, you know, the, as you've said, the medication is one one small part of it, if we're looking at m- mental wellness, um, and and that the, what you're eating, how you're exercising, um, how you're sleeping is very important. Yeah. And the emotional, social, spiritual. Uh, I, for me, really, what I what I would really love um, the the listeners to walk away with today is the idea that they have a lot to um, that they have a big say in their mental mental health, and that it's not just the outsource. Um, and that Absolutely. if they look at all those areas, they stand such a good chance of walking away a better person. You know, the, it was a minor setback, but they can walk away with a greater appreciation of life, of of the other, of experience. Um, because I do sometimes worry that there's a lot of medication out there, that there are a lot of people who can, sorry, and I'm going to say it, but can phone their GPs and just ask for an extension of a, a medication for anxiety. And there's no monitoring on all those pillars and saying, but are you looking at all areas of your life instead of just looking yeah. at that medication? I think that's such a strong point that we really need to push. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, what's happening in society is this pressure for quick solutions. Yeah. Um, and we as human beings don't heal quickly and we don't change quickly. Mm. Um, so medication can play a role there in terms of buffering for a time being. You know, especially if you look at in anxiety, calming tablets. Yeah. But it has to coincide with sort of teaching yourself to do something different, to managing yourself different. Mm. And people who have got really severe mental illness cannot do without their medication. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that. And they can do all the other stuff on top of that. It normally reduces the risk for relapse, but mm-hmm. it doesn't take the need away for those medications. Mm. And making peace with the kind of severity of your own illness and how you need to manage that also brings a bit of peace. Yeah. And for me, if we get the treatment right, then the focus 
goes back onto the person and not just stays on the illness. Yeah. Because that's the risk with any mental illness, that everybody talks about the mental illness and talks about the treatment of it, but they forget about the person that's got the illness. Mm. Um, and that person needs to live a life. You know, for me, if, if someone really gets their focus right, then it's about them. Yeah. And, and their mental illness becomes one of the problems, not their whole identity. So, so important. Jerry, thank you so much. I'm going to end it there because I think it's very, very powerful and something for our listeners to really ponder. Um, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's been wonderful, wonderful chatting, and I hope that um, we've shifted a few things out there. I really appreciate Dr. Jerry Bazadenhurt. Wonderful having you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. You too. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And we know that the 947, the Joburg Cycle Race, Discovery Race, is happening very, very soon. Sunday, the 17th of November, we're going to have people cycling. They are cycling for a purpose and certainly Team DL Link. Um, and it's just getting bigger and bigger. And people are training and people are getting excited. And the momentum is building. And I only found out just a short while ago that there is only one female in the DL Link team. And all I can say is Shem. Zach. Shem Zach. How can that be that there's only one female and I have her in the studio? So I say and I bow down to Panina Burko. Panina, welcome Thank and you. well done to you. And Thank please, God, you are going to be inspiring more females. Shem Zach, <laughs> you are the only female. I know, it's a bit ridiculous, but. You on your own are, we're going to hold you up Thank and we're going to put you on a pedestal because that's what you deserve. <laughs> How are you feeling about cycling soon? Um, very nervous. I'm not a cyclist. Well, you are now. Don't, don't keep telling yourself you are now, yes? My husband and my father-in-law are both cyclists. Yes. They've done this many times before. Mm-hmm. And they inspired me, and I'm very nervous for it. But and you're going to do it. That's amazing. I hope. I hope Good for you. And why are you doing it? Why for the DL link? Um, well, Tammy's in studio here. Um, I work very closely with her sister, Shifi. Mm-hmm. So I have an actual personal connection to the DL Inc. Right. And I think what they do is unbelievable. Um, I went to the appreciation dinner for the riders. And it's just what they do for those people who are going through hell and back. It was an inspiration that I could do a little bit of my part towards it. And so I decided that I'm going to try my best. If I don't, I don't. But I thought that I could at least do a little bit of something to help them for what they're going through. Listen, you're doing it. It doesn't matter what the outcome <laughs> is. You are doing it. You're in it. And what I've what I've learned since working with the DR Link is so you're giving, but you're going to get so much back. Really, it's so in line with the universe of giving and receiving. Who are you going to be? Have you got a name? Have you got a warrior that you're going to be riding for? I have got a warrior. I'm riding for my grandmother. Okay. Both my grandparents are Kane and Hora, twice survivors each. Sure, amazing. (laughs) Um, And my grand's currently living with it. Thank God it is stable and under control by Ruch Hashem, but it changed her appetite. It changed the way she lives. And I still phone her every day, and she still says, oh, I'm fine, love, and she's still got such a positive outlook that Mm. she's the inspiration. She's unbelievable, and if I could do this with her and my back, if she can go through what she does every day, it's the second time going through this, then I can do 
40 kilometers. <laughs> you can, you can. And she will be with you and you will, will be with be. her. Amazing. So listen, you're going to have to get back to us because being the only female, and I'm pushing the point because we have to have more females next year. That is it. I agree. Finished and clock. I agree. So if your husband and your father-in-law are cyclists, are they going to be cycling with you or are they going to speed ahead? It's an important question. It is an important question. <laughs> and I wish I could say the answer was yes, <laughs> but they're both professionals. So they start at 6.30 in the morning. They'll probably be finished by the time I'm starting so I only start I think at 9.30 so Nina you are amazing and well done to you Thank and you. wishing you lots of strength and energy on the road amazing. and lots of blessings and lots of beautiful spiritual interventions along the way amazing. Thank and we you. look forward to hearing the story after the race. I look forward to telling it Lovely to you. Lovely having you on the show. Thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you, you so much. Me. Panina Buko, um, our DL Link Angel and taking pl- a, a part in the, the 947 Discovery race. So wow, what a show. So tomorrow you've heard from the mental illness. You've heard from that point of view, we're looking at biohacking, living a little bit longer. Um, one, we've got a minute left. One, do you, is there one thing you want to leave us with? I think the most important thing, when I look out at a crowd, when I'm doing a talk and I say to people, who wants to live to 200 and beyond? A surprising number of people say they don't. And I think it's because we look at... You mean more people say no? Yes, much more people say no. And I think it's because we look at maybe our parents or our grandparents and we see that they're sore and frail and not living their best life. And we don't want to live an extra 100 years like that. Sure. But what biogerontology is offering is the opportunity and how many of you have sat one day and thought oh i just wish i could relive my 20s with what i know now oh yes this is the opportunity that's been given to us Mm. we can relive our youth with the wisdom of the years we've experienced and imagine what we can bring to this world with that accumulated wisdom we will be watching that space Will it happen in my lifetime? Absolutely. The first person to live to 200 is already in their 40s and 50s today. So. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay. Wow. Fantastic. Tomorrow, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank, thank you so you. much. I hope you'll join us again. And so. thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. I've loved every minute of it. And, of course, I have so loved being in your company. From me, Nikki Seberini, until next week, take it and, and take time out to look at those beautiful, beautiful purple jacarandas because they're not going to be here for much longer. Enjoy. Bye.